Welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. I am Bethany Rue, Associate Publisher. I wanted to start off with saying Happy Pride Month. It is Pride. Yay! (laughs) Uh, Our Pride issue is out right now. We got lots of listings um, for a lot of the events happening. We got a big um, article on... Pittsburgh, uh, People's Pride, sorry, People's Pride, um, lots of good stuff, so make sure you pick that up and check it out. Uh, also, last night, we launched a very exciting initiative. We partnered with a bunch of really awesome, badass people from around the city to launch Love Pittsburgh Music Month. There's well, <laughs> one of our guests has the volume up. It's really weird to hear yourself. <laughs> so, okay, back to this. So, lovepghmusic.com. Go check it out. We are doing um, the entire month of July is all about supporting Pittsburgh musicians. We want you to go check out new bands. We want you to, oh, my God, cross a river to maybe go check out a new venue. So, really, it's about supporting our local music scene because we've got a great one. So, make sure you get out to see some music, not just in July, but especially in July. There's Deutschtown Music Festival. There's Picklesburg. There's a ton of stuff happening, so no excuses. We also just announced literally 20 minutes ago our birthday parties coming up. Uh, we did it one year. Um, so the name of our party is, of course, the best year ever because we just had the best year ever and the only year. That's why it's funny. Uh, so go to the website. Check out all the details. It's actually a part of Deutschtown Music Fest. It'll be at the Flashlight Factory. So um, July 12th, Friday, 730 to 11, food, booze, music. It's free. Check it out. You're going to want to be there. Trust me. And now to today's episode, we have a very, very, very special podcast for you today. Uh, there is going to be some sensitive content and vulgarities, so I'm just mm-hmm. uh, trigger warning and content warning. If you're at work, you might want to put on headphones. Um, we are going to be talking about the state of reproductive rights and health across the country. We have some very special guests. We are actually, I want to thank our Sponsor for today, Planned Parenthood. Thank you very much. Today's podcast is sponsored by Planned Parenthood. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our guests. We have uh, State Rep Sarah and Morado from District 21, Jessica Semler, Pittsburgh current columnist, and Sadvika, did I say that correctly? Sadvika. Sadvika. Sadvika Nati, who was formerly with Women's and Girls Foundation and is now um, being awesome here. So thank all of you guys for coming in. Um, I'm going to start with Jessica, if that's okay. Absolutely. Thank you for coming out of your vacation retirement this week to be here with us today. Of course. I appreciate it. Uh, you had a very brave column recently. You wrote about your personal abortion story. Yes. Uh, I'd like to hear how that process was for you and uh, some uh, any feedback that you've gotten, good or bad. So just kind of lay it on us. How, how did that go for you? Sure. Absolutely. So um, I've been um, – my abortion took place in uh, January of 2013. So uh, – and by after, you know, the experience and then having worked at Planned Parenthood, I've been in a, lots and lots of safe spaces to be able to share my abortion story. So this was actually my first chance to put this to an audience with – Everyone could see it, not just people who I would feel comfortable necessarily knowing. And uh, it's funny, the week before I wrote about um, protesters in front of Planned Parenthood and I wrote about my experiences walking past them and my partner, when he read my column, said, how come you didn't talk about your abortion here? And I said, I, it's coming. I'll know when it, the right time is. Yeah. And the right time was, you know, 
like a week later. Um, and I just felt like it was really important and that regardless of what reactions I might get, that with so much vitriol, people need to hear from people who've had abortions that aren't good abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, the last several years, all of these bans that have happened have been uh, – so much of the arguments have been there's no exceptions or, you know, rape or like these extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. when – Looking at it right now, we're about to watch abortion just disappear for everybody, regardless of their reason. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. So um, I wanted to share my story. And uh, no one has said anything negative to me to my face. (laughs) Um, But I've had a lot of uh, folks that – and this is like what happens when folks share their abortion stories. Different um, people have messaged me on Facebook or texted me and I didn't know about their stories. And they said, hey – XYZ happened to me. Thank you. You know, so it was really, really affirming. And, you know, I hope it helps create more space for folks to share their stories. Yeah. What I really loved um, about the, about your story was the um, like zero kind of fucks given sort of aspect. Like you don't have to have a reason. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of the narratives are, are people kind of almost apologizing for themselves and, mm-hmm. and, and it's a legal safe medical procedure and you don't know anybody in explanation. So I thought it was a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, moving over to, to Sarah here, what is the state, you know, obviously we know what's happening kind of nationwide. It's gotten a lot of play, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Missouri, it's, it's so many states, yeah. it's depressing, Ohio. What is the state of reproductive health in our state? <laughs> so Pennsylvania is very interesting and it's actually a, a battleground state for reproductive rights. And we're fighting a a lot of battles right now. And we have, um, the way that the the state house works is that before there is a piece of legislation that goes through committee and is voted on on the house floor, you have co-sponsorship memos that circulate in um, both chambers and and all the on both sides of the aisle. So right now we have co-sponsorship memos that are circulating around a heartbeat bill, around a 20 week abortion ban, all the things that you're hearing about in the news. Um, I sit on the health committee. So we are essentially the, the frontline committee that sees a lot of these bills before they go to the house floor. So there's other more, uh, insidious bills that are they're coming across our desk that we're have to, having to evaluate and really look at critically, um, because they're not, obvious and as so far as like just flat out banning abortion. So we just recently voted on a bill, House Bill 321, which is referred to as the Down Syndrome Abortion Ban. And um, the issue with that is that um, Pennsylvania already has an Abortion Control Act, right? And so it says that you cannot have an abortion based on um, the the sex of the, the child or the fetus that you have. Um, so this was adding on, um, a down syndrome diagnosis, uh, but it also removes some key words from the statute, like solely. And so what we're seeing now with the, um, the Southern states, the ones that have employed these kind of really radical bans is that they're using the court to decide the, uh, constitutionality of them. So when you start to chip away at these single words in a statute, this can have extremely harmful repercussions. So we may obviously write in exceptions for rape and incest or death of the mother, um, but that won't always hold up if we're starting to chip away at these other words. Um, And 
I, I spoke out against, the, I was actually the first time speaking on the House floor when I spoke against um, HB 321. And uh, my argument was that, you know, oftentimes we put in these exceptions for rape and incest to make these bills more palatable. And if you actually speak to the doctors who uh, have to care for the women who have experienced rapes or incest, um, um, pregnancy as a result of incest, um, we already have these exceptions for like Medicaid, for example. Uh, Pennsylvania is one of the few states that does not allow for uh, Medicaid dollars or any sort of medical assistance to be used for abortion health care. And you have, um, but they do make an exception for rape or incest. But oftentimes, uh, right, we know that one in, what is it, around one in, one in four rapes are go unreported. Um, or one in four women are, are likely to be uh, a victim of rape mm -hmm. or sexual assault in their lifetime, the majority of which do not go reported. 75% right. do not go reported to police. So then you've, you've now, you yeah. don't, you don't have a paper trail. So yeah. how are you now, now you're asking uh, a doctor to either not trust their patient mm -hmm. or to prove in some way that this pregnancy uh, resulted uh, because of uh, a forced sexual encounter. Yeah. And yeah. you just How can't that do that. You have to get like a police report. You have to have a police report. And if 75% of rapes go unreported, then you don't have a paper trail. Exactly. So this is a, mm -hmm. it's a clear example of how we write statute that doesn't actually transfer mm -hmm. to the intended consequences in reality. And so these things that make us like feel better about a law actually aren't helping the women that it's supposed to help. Right. Um, I'm, I actually, but could you pull up that graphic right now? This is just a little graphic I saw on NPR this morning. It's it's basically state by state, sort of mm -hmm. what it looks like right now, mm -hmm. and it's alarming. Is it up? Oh, it's up. Okay, sorry, we're on the delay here, so it's up. You guys are looking at it. So <laughs> What's it, it look like? It, 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 can we see it? Yeah. <laughs> here, I have it. Here you go. It is alarming. So basically, Ohio, Missouri, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Georgia all have the so-called heartbeat bill. And I do want to copy that. None of these are actually, I don't believe, in effect yet. These are all just laws that have been passed. Right. There is a gap. Um, Alabama, our friends in Alabama, are, of course, completely banned unless some others help. So if you are if you are raped in Alabama, I'm sorry about that if you're pregnant. Um, and then I believe then Utah and Arkansas are banning um, the 18 to 22, mm -hmm. the so-called late-term abortions. Mm -hmm. um, so let, let's talk about like the words, like terms, narrative, Things like that. Like, uh, Jessica, we'll start with you. What's like a pet peeve that you have in the way that people talk about it? And we'll just kind of go around the, around the room. Sure. Um, so what most annoys me is that a lot of the titles of these bills are not based in medical fact and have not been consulted with doctors at all. Mm -hmm. um, a term like uh, partial birth abortion, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is not a medical term that doctors use. Um, and a lot of these terms are really formulated to um, get a, a reaction from people and um, the heartbeat bill, obviously. Um, so people not talking in like the clear terms, basically to be able to have an honest, good faith conversation about these things. That it annoys me. 
Okay. Yeah, I was going to say actually like the word heartbeat because it's like it's not – like the fetus doesn't have a heart at like six it's, weeks. It's Cardiac accurate. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it's um, – and also like I think just in general like the conversation around abortion and reproductive rights like I think just needs to be expanded to be more inclusionary to like queer and trans people and mm-hmm. LGBTQ rights in general because a lot of the issues that – so Planned Parenthood, you know, and all these great organizations that offer abortions also offer PrEP services, mm-hmm. also offer hormone replacement therapy. Therapy, also offer, um, you know, like medical and healthcare to trans men, perhaps that mm-hmm. are, you know, pregnant um, or carrying to term. Um, and so all of these things affect all of us, you know. Um, and as we all know, like they, these bills will affect the most vulnerable, marginalized populations mm-hmm. first. Um, so I think that language just needs to be more inclusive to like act like reproductive rights for all of us and mm-hmm. not just women's reproductive rights. Well, and I'm so glad that you said that because Jessica actually called me out on it when I originally did the promo. I said women's reproductive health. And yeah, it's not just women. I mean, yeah. it's it's so much more than that. And I think that sometimes that doesn't really get talked about as much. So uh, and I, I wonder to what um, negative impact on those communities, right? So how, how, do, how do you think you kind of solve for that? How do you get that more out there and, and, and be a bigger part of the conversation? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's predominantly like bringing that up at every point that you can. So thank you, Jess, for doing that. <laughs> um, and also I think it's storytelling, right? Like I'm a huge proponent of just personal storytelling. So like thank you again for sharing your story in that way. Um, and I think like the more people that come out and like talk about how these services would and these bills would impact them negatively, um, the more inclusive the story gets. Um, so I think that's a big thing. Um, and also just, you know, there's been a huge proponent of um, – um, and it's actually been really interesting because if you step back and look at the legal proponent and the legal precedent, um, a lot of the the LGBTQ rights cases that were decided in the Supreme Court were decided in similar ways to like the Roe v. Wade, uh, mm-hmm. Wade um, because it's all on the basis of privacy. And privacy mm-hmm. isn't even technically written mm-hmm. in the Constitution as a constitutional right. It's in the penumbra of like the Ninth Amendment or something. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see the parallels of like queer rights and also like, you know, reproductive rights um, kind of parallel them in that way at the Supreme Court level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that like telling that story and a lot of LGBTQ plus organizations have come out and like talked about how these issues affect us. Um, and like I think there's there's a reproductive rights like LGBTQ task force being created at like the national level. Um, so I think things like that are really pushing that conversation forward in a good way. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that we're talking about it right here. So, um, and now, Sarah, you're obviously immersed in the language of this a lot with, with your role. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to have some good, some, what, what are some of the words that when you see them or hear them in re- relations to the reproductive health conversation that you made like nails on a chalkboard? Yeah. Well, I do have to say that uh, Republicans are very good at marketing their bills. Mm. Uh, they, they, they far exceed us as, as far as, uh, the democratic side. So I, I, and I think just generally the term Mm. pro-life really Mm. irks me Mm. um, because what we saw was, you know, the passage of these bills that restrict uh, women's or women uh, restrict abortion access and healthcare. Mm. And then we also saw the passage um, or the attempt to pass bills to repeal things like general assistance, mm-hmm. which is a small cash payment of around $200 a month to the people who are most vulnerable, including pregnant women, mm-hmm. while they're waiting to get on uh medical assistance or waiting for any sort of like reimbursement from the federal government. So how can you simultaneously say that you support uh, life and quality of life for all people um, while, you know, taking away these 
these support systems that actually save people's lives um, and not not hinder them. It's almost like you're saying they're hypocrites. <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you guys? It wasn't even that long ago. Was it Tim Murphy, the rep? From, oh yeah, uh, who was like uh, pro life, mm-hmm. quote unquote, and then yeah. it came out that he tried to pressure his mm-hmm. mistress into yeah. having an abortion. Like that mistress and having an abortion, but you know, pro life candidate and all that. I think. Uh, oh, sorry, may I no, take on to that? Please. With what with what Sarah just said, I think also like terms terms like pro-life and pro-choice, inherently it creates this dichotomy, mm-hmm. which also shuts down a lot of possibilities yeah. for conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh mm. I think it's really important to have honest dialogue. And if you start off at a space where I'm here and you're there, we're already in opposition to each other. But when you really talk to folks, it pans out that most people, the majority of people believe uh, people should have access to safe, legal abortion and that, you know, people are the experts on their lives and their choices and should be making those for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think also just trying to um, – also, I don't say pro-life. I say anti-choice because, like Sarah said, there's yeah. these folks are not pro-life. They're not at all. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. <laughs> So, um, oh, and I do also want to remind our viewers that are watching us live that you can ask questions in the comments to mm-hmm. any any of our panelists and esteemed guests. So if there's, or you can leave a comment if there's anything. Um, Mike Sorg here at Sorgatron Media is um, working commentation. So commentation, is that is that a thing? <laughs> I just made up a new word. So, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> speaking of words, so feel free to ask questions. Um, so do you think Pennsylvania is at risk? I mean, are, are, is it anything that, that our local our local population needs to worry about anytime soon. Absolutely. And it's going to take a little bit more effort on our parts as citizens to, to pay attention on what's going on because it's not necessarily like in your face, a flat out abortion ban, but woven into the legislation that we are working on. Um, the positive thing that, um, is kind of coming out of all of this is that, you know, bills like uh, HB 321, we actually saw the most amount of votes against it that we've ever seen. Because in Pennsylvania, you have a lot of uh, Democrats who are uh, anti-choice and and do vote in favor of abortion restrictions. And a lot of that is is personal, uh, personal choice. and, but for me, it's you can have the the choice, like right. It's what Jess said is that you know based on your um, your faith, your upbringing, um, just your own you know personal va- set of values. Like you can make that choice for yourself whether you want to continue with a pregnancy or not. Um, but that's that's the key. And the moment you start legislating decisions for other people, mm-hmm. that's when you have to look at yourself and say, uh, this is not this is not my role. This is not my place. Like this is a very intimate decision and Mm -hmm. we can't possibly legislate for every single possible outcome and circumstance that a family is looking at. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, because they don't really want to legislate for, they just want to control the the, the body. (laughs) Um, So what do do we, how do we feel about Supreme Court? Are we, obviously this is a race to the bottom with all of our fun friends in the (laughs) South and our buddy over there in Ohio. So are, are we? We'll start over here with, with you. Know, are we worried that that, that this is? It's going to get to the Supreme Court. That's a given. How how, how are you feeling about its outcome? I'm worried. I'm worried. <laughs> um, I well, like I mean, that's their that's their goal is to get it to the Supreme Court. Um, mm-hmm. That's the whole plan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's definitely worrying. Um, I'm definitely worried about it. Um, I think that with the state of the Supreme Court right now and the state of the the politics around reproductive rights um, and the state of the administration um, and 2020 coming up. So like Mm -hmm. 
it's going to be a very political decision. Um, and a lot of the justices, justices are going to have to make political decisions. Um, even while they're on the bench. Um, and, you know, I think they do normally with all their cases. It is very political. Um, and so I'm definitely worried about what the decision is going to mm-hmm. be. Jessica? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I'd say, I mean, I'd say terrified, but also because, uh, I mean, for everything that you just said, uh, also this court has shown that they're not afraid to turn over precedent that's lasted for over 40 years, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of folks have been like saying, like, I trust precedent. Like, no, you don't. Yeah. But I guess like what kind of what I always think about during this conversation is right now in Pennsylvania, if you're in Erie, you have to come to Pittsburgh to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. So just already without Roe v. Wade, with, with, already exactly where we are now, people are traveling hours mm-hmm. to come to get abortion care. So already there's a lot of folks without access. Yeah. yeah. And so I care. It really, really matters. But we also need to have, you know, be aware that already, already things are really bad. Yeah. What was it? Missouri just had to get their uh, last clinic had like a Hail Mary pass right. at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, like how I brought football mm-hmm. into the conversation weirdly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, to keep their only clinic open, right? I mean, there's, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there are states, are there states out there right now that don't have any operating at all? I don't know. North Dakota, maybe. Mm. Okay. And about I'm gonna have to Google that. Ninety percent of like U.S. counties yeah. don't have a abortion clinic. Yeah, and then they put these. You know, you've got to come back. You know, you have to have mm-hmm. your appointment and then come back in seventy two hours. Right. And that's like, there's a lot of people that that yeah. is just not a realistic thing that they could do because of money, resources, time. Um, so we did we did have a question. Uh, Marla wants to hear more about the difference between reproductive rights and reproductive justice. Um, so I was really fortunate that. Before I was running full-time, I worked for an amazing organization called New Voices for Reproductive Justice. So reproductive justice is a framework that was defined by black women, Um, Loretta Ross, I think back in the 90s. And really around, um, it's not just about uh, abortion access. It's not just about the medical care that you get. Uh, It's about if and when you choose to start a family, that you can raise that child in a safe environment where that family can thrive. So it's about the concept of intersectionality, and it's about where um, the the reproductive rights movement and how that um, how feminism has evolved through the decades hasn't necessarily been inclusive, and it has been kind of like white woman suburban mm-hmm. feminism. And this was the the counter argument to that in saying that, you know, yes, it's about abortion access, but it's about criminal justice reform. Um, and it's about, you know, our mass incarceration of black individuals. Um, it's about our divestment in communities and redlining and the unavailability of housing. Um, it's about health outcomes in general and access to, Um, to doctors and doctors trusting the patients that are in front of them. Um, It's about food access. It's about all of, it's about ending poverty. It's about Mm -hmm. all of these other things that we must consider if we truly want people to achieve um, their health. And it needs to be about dismantling white supremacy. Um, It must be anti-racist. It must center the people who are most vulnerable and marginalized among us and not just, um, not just be kind of a a single issue focus. 
any add-ons from our couch area? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say um, on that too, I think like, you know, what I always think about is that, you know, reproductive rights is also, and justice um, is also about, you know, choosing to have a child and choosing to have a family when you want to. So it's, you know, um, so choice means all of it. Mm. Um, and especially when you think about the state of reproductive rights and justice, like in the global sense, um, like the U.S. and like a lot of other colonial powers have like actively like, you know, eugenics or what or sterilizing women um, mm -hmm. in Latin America um, and all of those different things happening like on the global sense. So like that is also part of reproductive rights. That's also reproductive justice. Um, and that's something that we like need to be talking about as well. Um, and like Sarah was saying, like this is all about intersectionality. Like all of it is interwined. Like you can't talk about the right to choose to have a baby when you want to without talking about mm -hmm. being able to raise that baby in a safe environment mm -hmm. um, and safe and healthy environment. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the one add on. Jessica, anything from you? Just a, just a small piece, just uh, that like, I think really looking at things more holistically because reproductive life includes a lot of things. Sometimes mm -hmm. Um, sometimes someone needs to end a pregnancy. Sometimes someone is carrying a pregnancy to term and sometimes folks need support to be parents. Mm -hmm. And so being mindful of not just looking at something in one context because you can't. Okay. And let's talk to you a little bit about the sort of global view too. I mean, obviously this administration has wreaked havoc here at home, but also abroad. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, the, the, the gag rule and, you know, how, um, how do you push the narrative or how do you, how do we address this globally, right? I mean, what what are some of the key things that you think we could be or should be doing to sort of, I, I mean, it's kind of out of our control, but it's a part of us and it's part of the conversation. So what what are some things that you think maybe, and Jessica, we'll start with you. you know, like, I don't know about the global. <laughs> well, um, so generally things are pretty bad. <laughs> uh, sorry. Um, with the global gag roll, uh, which has been a political football back and forth for years. Basically, if we have a Democratic president, they rescind it. If we have a Repu Republican president, it's put back in saying that any providers, any, any country shall not have any funding for uh, medical services, any of them if they talk about abortion whatsoever or say that's an option. And Trump, you know, outdid himself by <laughs> including a lot more services, basically. So, like, I mean, even, like, clean water systems. Any kind of access to different healthcare mechanisms will be taken away if you don't give the option for sometimes even just actual birth control. And it's a really gross example of like imperialism in us putting mm -hmm. our values on all of these other people. Mm -hmm. And we have tons and tons of data from this that when this happens, people die. Yeah. That's what happens. And the like infant mortality rate goes up. Every outcome you could have is negative. So again, another pro-life, it's very confusing. Yeah. It's very confusing. <laughs> well, let's, let's bring it back to good old America. Um, you mentioned 2020. We we got, we see, we got a chance. So let's like kind of look at some of the presidential candidates. Um, we were, before we went on air talking about good old Joe Biden, everybody here seems to be a real big fan. Just kidding. 
I mean, in terms of the, the 27,000 people running for the Democratic uh, ticket, who, who do you think is the most aligned with, with your personal beliefs or, or the kind of candidate you'd like to see win? Well, you know what? I think we still have a long way to go. Yes. Um, and the candidates still have a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't even had one debate yet. So True. I'm not ready to like put my energy behind one specific person. Um, but I do have to say that I really appreciate that we're talking about the Hyde Amendment mm-hmm. and the repeal of that. The Hyde Amendment is what bans um, public dollars from going to funding any sort of uh, abortion health care. And, um, you know, specifically, Joe Biden is the only one that I know of who's come out and says he still continues the support of it. And the Hyde Amendment is something that needs to be, it's actually renewed every year mm-hmm. in Congress. So it comes up um, for consideration. And that's something that we think we really have the potential to say uh, if we truly care about equity, if we truly care about reproductive justice, this is like a a very small step we can take in the form of access to make sure that, um, you know, poor women, young women, uh, women of color uh, who are in the lower income brackets are the ones that, and typically on medical assistance, are the ones that can access abortion health care. Yeah. And that's kind of what made me think of it too, because I was actually reading the story yesterday about Joe Biden and and the Hyde Amendment. Um, Jessica, do you have any thoughts on any, I mean, I feel, and maybe it's just me because I'm hyper aware of it, this, this cycle, but I feel like it's, it's being talked about a little bit earlier and a little Mm. bit more. I mean, have you noticed an uptick at all? I mean, I personally don't actually remember hearing about the Hyde Amendment before and past. So Mm. I think that's fantastic. Um, and I think – I really hope that this is an issue that we can really hold people's feet to the fire because mm-hmm. with the Hyde Amendment, um, specifically Henry Hyde, who's the person who – the congressperson who came up with this in 1976, he said, I certainly would like to prevent, if I could legally, anybody having an abortion, a rich woman, a middle-class person, or a poor woman. Unfortunately, the only vehicle is the Medicaid bill. Now – the data that we see says about 75% of folks that have abortions are below the poverty line. So this mm-hmm. explicitly targets folks that need care. And that's shameful. And I, as a Democrat, don't want to support any candidate who would support the Hyde Amendment. Very good. I kind of wanted to clap for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sorry about that. Go, your thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to – I mean, I'm with Sarah, I think, just that, like, you know, it's so early in the game and, yeah. like, I'm not quite ready to put my support behind any one mm. person just yet either, um, except for that it's definitely not going to Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anybody, anybody but Joe, I guess, is kind of where yeah. we're all at right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, I think I agree with what Jess was saying too, um, that, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we can hold their feet to the fire about, especially mm-hmm. because this is happening. Like all of this is happening right now. Um, and I think that a lot of them have realized that they have to take a stand on mm-hmm. it, like in order to get our votes. And like, I'm definitely someone who believes that like, just like keep tweeting at your favorite presidential candidate, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like literally like hold their feet to the fire. They have to come up with something. Um, and I think that we're making it very clear that they need to have a stance on this mm-hmm. um, in order to get our vote, which mm-hmm. I think is really important. So, yeah. Okay. Don't hide. Where do you stand on hide? Get it. <laughs> I love that. I stop myself. <laughs> Don't hide. Uh, so again, I want to thank our sponsor, Planned Parenthood. Um, Thank you very much for sponsoring Planned Parenthood. Uh, Planned Parenthood of Western Pennsylvania provides high-quality reproductive health care services and comprehensive sexual education. 
Health centers are located conveniently downtown Pittsburgh, Bridgeville, Moon, Greensburg, Johnstown, and Somerset. Wow, I did not know there were that many locations. Heck yeah. Yeah, get it, Planned Parenthood. Um, healthcare services include gynecological care, birth control information, and a variety of methods that best match your needs. Pregnancy testing, counseling, STD and HIV testing, PrEP treatment, emergency contraception, and abortion services. Planned Parenthood is also excited to announce they're offering therapy and behavioral services as well, which is fantastic. Um, to schedule an appointment, you can call them at 800-230-7526, or you could visit them online at ppwp.org. So thank you again to Planned Parenthood. And people out there listening, if you are ever in doubt, if you think you need their services, just call them because they are fantastic. Uh, I'm going to let everybody kind of do some of the closing thoughts. Sarah, we'll start with you. If, you know, just any... Let's see. Let's see. What do I'll, I'll, I'll give us There's a topic. There's so many yeah, things I, know. I want to talk about still. <laughs> I know. I keep looking at my clock because like, I feel like we could probably talk like the rest of the day. Get a pizza. Yeah. State level court. Yeah. We, okay, God, talk about, we, we still got a few minutes. Screw it. It's my podcast. We can do whatever the hell I want. Just go. Talk about state level court, Sarah. Let's hear it. Do it. Okay. <laughs> Just very briefly, uh, I would say follow the Women's Law Project because they're mm, they're the folks who are uh, making the court cases. So they have a case right now. This is like kind of a ray of sunshine, um, a bright spot in a black hole, uh, which is which is Harrisburg. Um, <laughs> So it's Allegheny Reproductive Health Center versus Pennsylvania Department um, of Human Services. And what they're doing is using the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment that the state did pass um, a number of decades ago, uh, using that as a, a they're trying to make the case that, you know, we should use uh, medical assistance to be able to cover abortion health care. Um, because, you know, it's a, it's a matter of uh, equity and equal rights mm-hmm. between uh, those with uh, different reproductive organs. So that's, that's good. I'm interested to follow that case and see kind of what comes of it. Right. Are there any other, other cases, state level cases that y'all are following? <laughs> okay. And we have judicial elections this year. So like, we make sure you get do. out and vote yeah. in November. Yeah. <laughs> our, Mariner, our columnist said, you know, judges, like that's where people they should matter. be, they matter a lot and people need to pay a lot more attention to them. <laughs> So what, what what are you like totally like just like biting your so, nose watching now? Well, actually, a light in the darkness. The Kansas, Kansas Supreme Court uh, found very recently that uh, the right to an abortion is enshrined in their state constitution. Ooh. Who and, snuck that in? <laughs> and it's actually if with everything going on and everything's so depressing, like sometimes just want to hide under my desk and cry. But mm-hmm. also you could just like draw yourself a nice bath and pull up the 200 page document <laughs> from the Kansas decision. And it actually talks a lot about, you know, great arguments for like why this shouldn't be based on legislators. This mm-hmm. is an inherent human right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully other Supreme Courts will step up. Fingers crossed. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Closing thoughts, anything? Yeah. Well, what are you watching? What are you most hopeful for? <laughs> um, I haven't actually been following a whole lot of state cases, but um, I was just going to say one thought that crept into my mind as we were we moved on um, was like also in trying to like reproductive justice is like the right to like comprehensive sexual education mm-hmm. um, because everyone <laughs> needs to have yeah. like all the information that they need in order to be able to make an informed decision. Um, and I think that goes globally and also in America mm-hmm. because we have terrible sexual education mm-hmm. here. And that include that has to include, you know, like LGBTQ plus sexual 
sexual education, um, mm. like all of these various things that we just don't talk enough about um, in public schools. So mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of reproductive justice because mm-hmm. like it's, it's not just like making the decision, but also like, giving you – giving everyone all of the information they need to make the right decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. So – yeah, I'm pretty sure sex education has not changed since I was in like fourth grade. So, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I hate to have an end. Will you guys come back? We do this again. Can we talk about <laughs> can we talk about reproductive health, reproductive justice again. Uh, I want to thank all of our guests, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming down, Jessica. And I don't want to screw up your name again, Sadika. Safika. Safika. Damn it! <laughs> I'm so bad with syllables. Pardon me. I'm so sorry. But you guys are wonderful guests. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Um, this will be uh, available on our website. You could download this at the end. Um, thanks, ladies. Thank let's, you. Let's, let's let's hope that um, the next time we come together, that we all have some great news to bring to the table. Let's hope there's more bright spots in the dark holes. Going we can get wonky. Yeah, we, <laughs> we can get wonky. We can get, maybe we'll do a very wonky special with Sarah <laughs> <laughs> That would be great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you pick up Pittsburgh Current and um, have a great day. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.